Let us begin with prayer. Father God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the joy of the Lord, that you have filled us and strengthened us you walk with us. Lord, as we look into your word, that you would uh, comfort our hearts. Draw us to you. Draw us to your word. Draw us to your spirit. May your spirit fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the fourfold gospel, as you can see here on the banners that we have, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, the fourfold gospel rests in the truth of who Christ is. Christ is the center of our thinking and the purpose of our calling. When we talk about Christ in you, we're talking about the life of Christ living his life in you. We want Christ to live his life in us. Christ in you is the calling to submission and to surrender to God. It means to follow the voice of the Lord and to hear his voice. As I look at the nature and character of God, God is holy. He reveals himself holy. And that holiness is revealed in his love. Love is the expression of holiness, and love is seen as omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. We can, who can separate us from the love of God? If God is for us, then who can be against us? See the power of God. God revealed himself as holy, and what we know about holiness is that God loves. And when we see God holy, we see his love. If you're holy, you will love. You will walk in the power of love. When Christ walked this earth, he was not concerned about the people making him unclean. He cannot be made unclean by diseased and sinful people touching him or Jesus touching them. He did not avoid crowds. He walked in the midst of the crowds. He was not threatened by their foul mouths or sinful thoughts, their immoral behavior, their unrighteous lifestyle. They cannot make him guilty. Or unclean. He, he is holy because he is Christ. And so he walked in the midst of them, in the midst of us, and he healed them and he healed us. He healed our hearts. He transformed our minds and strengthened our bodies. He was not tempted by their selfish, sinful nature, but instead he constantly kept his eyes on the Father and his ear on his voice. Nothing could force him to stray from his desire to touch and to heal as his Father got, called him to. He is holy, so he loved. If we are holy, we will love because of that. No person or group of people can make us unclean or unholy or unrighteous. We can walk in the most unrighteous of places and bring the love and the message of God's truth. Now, be careful, though, because you can be tempted. So make sure you're prayed up and have people praying for you. Well, a person's lifestyle does not keep us from loving because if Christ is in you, you are holy, so you will love. We are not here to change people's behavior, but to see the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. As you walk in the power of the Spirit, and Paul talks of this when he writes in Galatians, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We will walk with intention, holiness, and the grace of His love. We will not be swayed by the voices of sin and temptation because our ears are on His voice and our eyes are on His frame. Those around us will do their best to sway us as the world's and, the, and, and sometimes our, and our sinful nature will sway us, tempt us, coerce us, insult us, mock us, but we will love. We will love in the midst of all that because Christ has made us holy. And instead of yielding to temptation, we will love and Christ-given 
to those around us. The Christ life is the holy life, and when you come to Christ, you bow your knee to Him, you repent of your sins, you come to the cross, and you recognize Jesus has done this for me. He took his, my sin upon Himself. And I stand before, I kneel before the cross, and I say, Father, forgive me. Christ, forgive me. And He forgives you because Christ has taken those sins away. The cross is the powerful weapon that denies sin, strangles death, and overcomes our brokenness. When you come to Christ and receive forgiveness and righteousness, salvation, He calls you holy. He puts Christ within you. You're holy because Christ lives in your heart. Christ lives out His life in and through you. You become the potential of what you were created to be. You gain the characteristics of Christ. You live as He lived. You walk as He walked. You bring healing to those who are struggling. And you also feel the pain of those who run away. Christ is the reality of all that we are called to be and the homecoming we long to have. He is our forgiveness of sin, the salvation of our souls, the hope of our destiny, the holiness of our standing, and our access to the Father. In Hebrews, the writer wrote, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. But why holiness? Because of what we read a few verses later. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You will not see God without holiness. We share in His holiness so we can see the Lord. The promise that is found in 1 John to me is stunning. It's a verse that just overwhelms me in 1 John 3. It says, Beloved, now we're children of God, and it has not yet appeared as, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. I mean, this is that, that short phrase there. We will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. Wow, that just blows my mind when I read that verse. We will be like Him. We will see Him just as He is. Those two statements overwhelm me to the point of utter wonderment and joy. God, you're awesome. Because of Christ placing His holy mantle upon us, we are now able through the Holy Spirit to walk in the throne room of God and worship Him and repeat that wonderful, glorious refrain, holy, holy, holy. Through Christ, we are the reality of of Christ to this world. We bring the healing touch of Christ to hurting and dying people. We do not just bring the healing touch of Christ to their bodies, but the saving power of Christ to their souls. Christ heals and continues to heal. But the greatest healing, the most amazing miracle is the transformed heart when a person bows their knee before the cross, before Christ, say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I repent. And you see the powerful change of what God does in a person's heart. Bringing people to God. Bring people to God because He heals. I, challenge, I want you to know today, Christ heals. I want you to live in the reality of that truth. Christ heals. Christ's very presence heals. His very presence brings what we need. In the movie, Patch Adams, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. That was kind of a good movie. At the end of the movie, he gave a speech to the doctors because he's accused of practicing medicine without a license. And while he's speaking, in his defense, he says this rather important statement. He says, you treat a disease, you win some, you lose some. But if you treat a person, you win every time. I like that. When you care about the person, when you know their name, when you talk to them. You know, Mother Teresa um, said this quote, death with dignity is to die with grace in the knowledge that you're loved. You know, Mother Teresa, she lived in the, and ministered in the Calcutta, Indian, where she saw suffering. 
uh, poverty and death. She saw people born in the street, live in the street, and die in the street. She went to the dying. She held their hands so they could die with dignity. She held their hands of many who were forgotten, marginalized, and neglected. She gave people the dignity of just being noticed. That is what Christ did. He noticed people. He noticed the lost, the neglected, and the rejected. In the book of Matthew, we read this. Seeing people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He saw people. Now imagine the emperor of Rome at this time, Tiberius, walking in Galilee among the people. Did he see people? No. He expected them to see him and for them to get out of the way. But when Christ saw, the peop- saw people, he saw their heart, their sin, their burden, their rejection, their lostness, and their fractured life. He saw their eyes and their pain. He saw the cruelty of man and what, what uh, one man does to another. Here is Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, greater than the emperor, walking among people because that is the kind of God he is. Did the emperor touch the people, talk with them, ask how they were doing? No. If a, if a peasant came up to the emperor and touched him, he'd either be arrested or killed. The emperor demanded you give him something as he approached the masses. Did he bring the glory of Rome and all its splendor? Did he invite people into, into his life so he could, they could live with him? Did he shower the people with his love, heal their hurts, and forgive their sins? No, Jesus, when he walked among the people, he brought the glory and beauty of heaven with him, though. And he invited all to live with him. He showered the people with his love, he healed their sickness, and he forgave their sins. Because Christ heals. So number one, the presence of Christ is the presence of God. Presence of Christ, the presence of God. Let's look at 21, uh, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, the book of Revelation, that's a, that's a brilliant book, which captures the Christ-centered message that's been um, declared throughout Scripture. It also holds a message that's been repeated that you find throughout Scripture, and that is, what is temporary is of man, but what is eternal is of God. When I read Revelation, I'm reminded of the psalm that says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. No matter how big, how powerful, invincible our lives or our empires may be, they will not last, they will not endure. Only God endures. Christ said, heaven and earth will pass away, my wor- but my words will not pass away. So build your empire, but it will not last. Because if God is not the center, it will not last. What God does endures. What we do without God ends. Build your life on God then. Live your life rooted in Christ. Seek out your calling empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it will endure. Revelation is a book of worship. The professor asked his students, what is Revelation all about? One student raised a hand and says, Jesus wins. And that's it. Jesus wins. In the book of Revelation, you get glimpses of heaven. And when you peek into heaven, you see worship taking place. 
wonderful, endless, amazing worship. Angels and strange creatures, they surround the throne of God and they worship. Holy, holy, holy. And they can't contain themselves. They have to worship. All they want to do is worship because God is so amazing. And Revelation takes us from heaven where there's worship to earth and there's no worship. (laughs) And what do we find on earth when there's no worship of God? Immorality, war, plagues, death, persecution, deception, on and on and on. Then you see a coalition of evil forming in Revelation. And this coalition of evil wants to get rid of God. Remove him, stop him, throw him out. They build a a city centered on humanity and humanity's heart. Humanity is trying to mimic heaven, but you can't counterfeit God. They have a king whom they celebrate, and he gives them what they think they need and want. They have a human message that they like to preach, which is a gospel to them, if you will. They're deluded and deceived, and then Christ shows up at the end. (laughs) And as you read this book, you see worship in heaven and evil on earth. And you wonder, what would happen if the worship in heaven came to earth? And that's what happens in Revelation 19. And let me tell you, evil dies. Evil cannot handle worship. You want to deny evil? (laughs) Worship God. Do it now. God, you're awesome. That's what happens in chapter 19. Christ shows up. Christ stands in the midst of evil as he did did 2,000 years ago, and evil dies in the presence of Christ. Evil has no chance. Judgment is its destiny. But the story does not end in judgment. It ends with God's presence. As the Bible began, so it ends. God's presence. God is the plot of our history. We may think otherwise, but he's the reason for the story in the first place. In Revelation 21, heaven is described. There are precious stones everywhere. There are 12 gates, and each gate is a pearl, a giant pearl. You heard of the pearly gates? You've heard that phrase, you know. One pearl, though, is a gate. And there's, the street is made of what? Gold. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. You know, it always reminds me of that joke that I always heard. That this guy, he was going to die, but he was very wealthy. And he transferred all of his money into gold. And, so, and he put his two suitcases by his deathbed. He says, I want to take these with me. Of course, what happens when you die? Can you take those with you? No, but he got permission. So he's there standing at the gate of, of heaven, ready to go in. And, and Peter, of course, they're always Peter, right? He's, the, he's letting you in. I don't know why. But anyway, he, there's Peter. He says, what are you doing? You can't bring anything to heaven. And he says, but I got permission. And he says, well, show me what it is. And he opens it up, and it's all going. He says, why would you bring pavement? You know, we have all these beautiful things, these beautiful structures, be- you know, gold and, 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 and pearls. And, but the greatest and most amazing thing about heaven is that God is there. God himself is there. So number one, God lives among his people. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among man, verse 3. God is among man. When God created Adam and, he, and his wife, he wanted them to live with him. He created people so they would live with him. He always wants his people to live with him. In John 1, we read, and, and that Emmett read to us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word he set up a tent, like the tent and tab- the tabernacle 
Uh, he tabernacled among us. He set up a tent. And it is reference to the tabernacle God to set up in the wilderness that you read about in the book of Exodus. When we go to Revelation 21 and it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. We see the presence of God. God's presence is life and healing to us. We call on God to come and walk among us. We need His presence. We need His touch. We need His Word. We need Him. In Revelation, it says, He will dwell among them. He will dwell among them, verse 3. This is God's desire from day one. But let me tell you, if you have sin in your heart, you will not want to dwell with God. He is dangerous. That's why He has to make you holy. (laughs) You know, God desires for you to live among Him, but you better come to Him and repent of your sins. And it will be so wonderful when you do. Because He will free you from those sins and make you holy. You know, at the end of Exodus 24, Moses is invited to come and have a one-on-one discussion with God. If you have never read the Bible and you come up to Exodus 24 and you go, Ooh, this is exciting. I wonder what the next chapters are going to be. This is probably going to be the most amazing set of chapters ever in Scripture. I wonder what mysteries he will tell. I wonder what amazing things he'll learn. And then you start reading and you go, what in the world? This is not very exciting. Because he starts telling you how to build a tabernacle. You know, it needs to be this many dimensions. It needs to have this kind of material. It needs to have this kind of, ma- you know, all these different things. And when you make the priest's robes, make sure they're this kind of thing, with these kind of jewels. And you go, oh, my goodness, you're kind of flipping through, you know. Not that I would do that. <clears throat> and so you read this and you go, why is he telling me this? Why am I reading this? Shouldn't you be telling me some of the greatest secrets? And really, what is so important about a tabernacle? But God is telling Moses about what is most important to him. And what is most important to God? If you look in Exodus 29, he flat out tells us. He says, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The greatest thing we can ever know is God dwelling with us. And that's what he was telling him. I want to live with my people. In Jeremiah, the Lord God promised his people, I will put my law within them, and, the, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. In Isaiah, the, the promised Messiah is called what? Emmanuel, God with us. In Ezekiel 36, God again promised, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. The heart of God is relationship with you. For you to live with him. To know Christ as healer, you need to know Christ has dwelt among us. God dwelling among us. The presence of God is our hope, our healing our health. He is the significance we all long for. He is the permanent certainty we need. We must come to the holy, awesome God and rest in the presence of who He is, repent of our sins, find the filling of the Holy Spirit, walk in the power of His Word, and declare God is holy. Today, the church is the body of Christ which means we are the presence of God to this world as Christ lives His life within us. As Christ is living his life within us, we are then the hands and the feet of Christ. We are the voice of Christ. We walk among the people of this evil age and we do what Christ did. We love them. We heal them. We speak into the power 
of who God is. And we see people as Christ sees them. We hear them. We notice them. We heal them because Christ heals. Number two, the presence of Christ is life. Again, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. When Jerome Groupman diagnosed patients with serious diseases, the Harvard Medical School professor discovered that all of them were looking for a sense of genuine hope, and indeed that hope was as important to them as anything he might prescribe as a physician. After writing a book called The Anatomy of Hope, Groupman was asked for his definition. He replied, basically, I think hope is the ability to see a path to the future. You're facing dire circumstances, and you need to know everything that's blocking or threatening you, and then you see a path or a potential path to get to where you want to be. Once you see that, there's a tremendous emotional uplift that occurs. The doctor confessed, I think hope has been, it has been, is, and always will be the heart of medicine and healing. We cannot live without hope. Even with all the medical technology available today, we still come back to this a profound human need to believe that there's a possibility to reach a future that is better than the one we're in now. And let me tell you, Christ is that hope. Christ is that path. Christ is that journey, and he is the means to get there. He is our hope. The presence of God is our healing. We are aliens and strangers in this evil age, for our home is with him. In our passage, we see God, that God dwells among his people. They're his people, and he is their God. Look at what the presence of God does. It removes all the effects of sin and the consequences of sin. There's no more tears, no more death, no more sadness, no more crying or pain. When you think of what makes you sad, what pains your heart, it's tied to sin. You die because of sin. You get sick because of sin. Because we're all susceptible to sickness because of sin. We hurt because our hearts are broken due to unfaithfulness and painful words. The evil of this evil age rises up, and we all feel the effects of sin that is upon us and within us. You feel the sting of sin when people sin against you, and people feel the sting when you sin against them. Sin causes division, animosity, pain, and conflict. We're subject to sin, and we're enslaved by sin. We cannot break free from sin, but Christ heals our sin, takes it away, forgives us, and heals our brokenness. So number one, Christ heals our brokenness. When Christ walked on this earth, he went to the neglected masses. Now I want you to remember that. Christ heals. Don't just think, well, yeah, Christ heals our brokenness and move on. Live in faith each day saying, that's true. He has healed me of my brokenness. So when I, you know, when you think of Christ as when he walked among the people, in Matthew 14, after Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been murdered, uh, he gathered his disciples, got into the boat to go somewhere where Jesus could grieve. Maybe his disciples could grieve with him. And when, as he comes to the shore, uh, we read this. He saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. So he gets in the boat. He goes to, the, to this secluded area, but these people realize Jesus left, so they kind of follow, and they get there before he gets there. 
Now, if, you know, if you're like in a situation where you're sad, you're grieving, you're hurting, and then you see all these people, oh, my goodness, you know, he's like, I don't want to deal with these people. You never felt that way, right? Oh, I don't want to deal with these people. You know, here, and here's Jesus. What does he do? He gets out of the boat, and he ministers to them. You know, I would have said, let's get back in the boat. Let's go to the middle of the lake, and no one can get to us. <laughs> no, he gets out of the boat, walks over to them, and heals them and blesses them, and ministers to them. It's just the beauty of Christ and what he does. He saw hurting people, and he comforted them. He saw the broken, and he loved them. This is how Jesus saw people, the masses. Now, many of the person, you know, many a person see the masses as annoying, needy, uncomfortable, losers, and lazy, maybe even smelly. Jesus saw people. He saw lost people, deceived people, and people deceiving others. These people were not saints. They were sinful people. I imagine they tried to manipulate Jesus. They lied to him. They demanded him, coerced him. But who they were did not deter what Jesus wanted to do. He did not affirm their deception. He did not go along with their demands. He did not listen to the manipulative speeches. He simply gave people dignity, noticed them, healed them, loved them, even held them. When you're broken, addicted, dying, lost, you will deceive because people who are filled with shame will do all they can to hide it. And Jesus would not allow to heal them of their shame and their sin and their brokenness, but to heal from shame and sin, you have to expose it to the light. And let me tell you, Jesus is the light. So come clean with Jesus. Say, God, I got all this. Can you still love me? Oh, yes. I got more love for you than you can imagine. He says, go to Christ. He is the light. Christ removes it because he heals you. He's the forgiver of sins, the transformer of our hearts. He's your new creation. You're a new creation because of Christ. Secondly, Jesus brings heaven to earth. In Matthew 15, we read this. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. You know, as you read Matthew, you see these healing frenzies that Jesus goes on. I mean, it's like he goes into this area and it's boom, just like he blows up death, you know. <laughs> it's like boom, there's all this healing that takes place. We read this before, like in Matthew 9, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. There's no sickness that stood in Jesus' way. Sickness was not a threat to Jesus, but Jesus is a threat to sickness and sin. Every person that Christ touched, he freed them, he healed them, he noticed them, he loved them. In Revelation 21, we read that heaven, that in heaven, there is no more pain, no more tears, no more mourning. There's no death. If there's no death, then there's no sickness. If there's no death, there's no sin. For the wages of sin is death. There's no oppression. There's no tyranny. There's no oppression. There's no, no anger. There's no conflict. There's no threats. When the Lord Jesus walked this earth, he brought the reality of verse 4 of Revelation 21 into the lives of those he touched. He brought heaven to earth. He brought the healing that God's presence is. He brought relationship, hope, and joy. He took away human shame and restored us to the design we were created to be. The power of 21, 3, and 4 is revealed in Christ. When you read verses 3 and 4, you are seeing the presence of Christ. 
We can taste today the kingdom of God because that is what Christ brought. He brought his presence, and his presence is life. His presence is hope. We today can taste the kingdom, the healing touch, the freedom from sin, but one day we will know to its, its fullest. These bodies will die, and we will gain a new body, an eternal body, a body like Christ. We today can experience the kingdom, but one day we'll know it completely. That is why we say now, but not yet. The presence of Christ is the knowledge of the kingdom. Living the kingdom is living as Christ. Living as Christ is loving as he loved. When we think of Christ our healer, let us not think in terms of what it will bring you and me, but what we can bring to this world. Lord, how can I bring the healing touch of Christ today? How can I be the healing touch of Christ to those around me? Instead of seeking just healing, seek Christ. It is his presence we need. It is his word that is our life. If Christ brought heaven to earth, let us bring heaven to earth through Christ, since Christ is living in us. Let us heal the hurting, notice the forgotten, and forgive those who sinned against us. Let us walk among the masses, showing them the one who has loved us so deeply and he, that he died for you and me. Let us make sure everyone that we know hears the name of Jesus. Let us do that because we know Christ heals. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the words of Revelation 21 and 3 and 4, the hope we have standing before the throne of God, before you, Father, celebrating you, for you are good. Father, we need you.